So some of you think that I was there alone on that precipice. Oh, everybody wants to know about food. How did you eat? <laughs> I know that was the next question somebody was coming. Right? Right. Right. I try to have solitary retreats at places where I am supported. In other words, there is a community or group that is willing to kind of look after those people that are in the huts. And Sudarshana Loka is one of our Triratna places. There are five five huts on the 250 acres. And once a week, we leave a note in a box in the bush. And the guys come up on the off-road vehicle and get the note. And the next morning, do the shopping. And if we're lucky, down in Thames, a box of food appears in the box the next day. And I backpack it up to my hut without ever seeing anybody. So it worked so beautifully. Occasionally, the first month, there were three rotten eggs and certainly the grapefruit had holes in it. It was mushy. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit difficult to make a food list when you're not in the grocery store. <laughs> you know, what is it that I want? What do I need? I kept limiting it to just 16 or 17 items at the most. And I was on a tight budget because of my own foolishness. Because I insisted that I could eat on $300 a month because I ate on $300 a month in Japan, and I do in New Hampshire, but they told me 400 was good for New Zealand, and I couldn't believe them. So <clears throat> it was true. <laughs> <laughs> so I was $67 a week was all that I could spend, So, and, but it worked beautifully. And I ended up eating only two meals a day, which was just fine, so that I didn't spend all my time preparing the next meal, or thinking, sitting on my cushion, thinking about the next meal. So letting go of that. It's beautiful. I still do this now. I think I just had two meals today, as a matter of fact. But besides being alone there in the bush and not seeing anybody, nothing, from here all the way across to here, just this giant valley I could hear the rushing water and a wall of green on the far side. Occasionally, some cattle would show up, and I'd get so excited. I'd get my binoculars and try to decide if they were dairy cows or beef cows. Or Really, it was very exciting when something showed up in the green. <laughs> Basically, it was kind of me and the birds. But So I told somebody that actually I fell in love, which just kind of happens, you know. There I was, and so I fell in love with a leaf. A second new awakening. I don't remember what the first awakening was, but the second new awakening was today. I fell in love. I've been more conscientious about doing my second meditation session as a one-hour outdoor walking meditation, weather permitting. Sometimes the first pass down the walk is clearing the path from things that blew it down through the night in the nighttime storms, but usually it's quite pleasant. I walk slowly and mindfully, with eyes cast down as I have been taught. I don't take this as a morning nature walk or as exercise, but as a meditation practice. In the Theravadan sect, it is a strong part of practice, perhaps equal in time to that on the cushion. And for some monks, it's their major practice. At the end of my 35 paces this morning, as I made my turn, I saw an oval leaf shining green, serrated on one side with some insects holes, scattered on the opposite side. With every pass, I saw it there, at first highlighted in sunlight and later in shade. Each time, it became more interesting. Oh, 
those insect bites, and that lovely shape. I passed by it 30 or 40 times in that hour. It reminded me of the saying that whatever you focus on, you'll fall in love with. That leaf became a practice in mindfulness, awareness, and focus. I look forward to seeing it tomorrow morning and trust it will still be there, sunning itself inconspicuously at the end of my path. Nobody else would be grabbed by its beauty, but with my withdrawal from all stimulation and with my silence and deep focus, I've fallen in love. I'm fortunate to have an opportunity to really see. May Sarton, that poet of New England, writes of this too, saying, as she cites Simone well, absolute attention is prayer. She uses this phrase often when teaching and suggests that if one looks long enough at almost anything, looks with absolute attention at a flower, a stone, the bark of a tree, grass, snow, a cloud, something of a revelation takes place. We cease to be aware of ourselves, losing self in admiration and joy. It's amazing those kind of things have a chance to manifest and for you to take them in and absolutely see. It's not the life we live here, so busy with traffic and demands in our screens, for sure.